This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're going to be talking television today, but a little bit different. Uh, we're going to be focusing on streaming, what's available out there on SVOD, on BVOD, and special guest today, former colleague of mine, Dan Barrett. Welcome, Dan. Oh, James, it's great to see you. Good to see you back. Dan was, of course, a deputy editor of Media Week for not long enough, but he... <laughs> He did some time with us. You got 12 of the best months of my life, James. <laughs> it just hurts seeing other people getting those, that time now, though, <laughs> I must say. But, yeah, so welcome. Um, now, your course, you do always be watching. Dot com. You, dot com, is it? So he's built up a little empire here with always be watching. He does a daily newsletter, which pops out every morning way too early, um, which is a good thing. He does. Well, a, not all of us have the leisure of waiting until 10.30 in the morning, James. Well, it's not leisure, believe me. I <laughs> feel that time pretty well. He does always be watching podcast. There's the website. What am I missing? Uh, that's pretty much about it at the moment. So the idea is that every morning you can get a newsletter. So Monday through Friday, it's all the TV news and industry sort of information you might need to get across the day. So instead of waiting till you know, about 10, 11 o'clock and suddenly seeing things appear in your Twitter feed, you've already got it there about between 6.30 and 8.30 whenever I finally uh-huh. get the newsletter out. just depends when I walk the dogs in the morning, James. Yeah, well, let's not promote that newsletter too much, okay? So let's move <laughs> no, no, on. So it, is, it is quite different to the Media Week offering, though. <laughs> of, so, course, of course. But if you want something that's yeah. very specifically TV industry and it's sort of TV culture, it's TV industry, it's a whole bunch of different types of things. Heavily US-centric. Well, I tried to approach it from the idea of if I was anywhere in the world interested in Western media... What are the stories that I find interesting? And the US is obviously such a dominant powerhouse in terms of affecting the way that the industry is rolling out. And I mean, we're going to talk about this as we talk about streaming. All the TV stuff at the moment and the industry changes happening in the US are going to affect every market across the world within the next two to three years. Yeah, because streaming is certainly the buzzword these days, isn't it? People see it as the future. People are investing massive amounts of money, the big companies, the big global entertainment conglomerates. Think about Disney. As like Disney being the biggest content company really in the world in terms of the value of their IP, they pretty much said, hey, look, you know, we are going to upset our entire business model, which is a little bit shaky now. Well, not their entire business model, but their entire like TV distribution model. And they're shifting it all as like a streaming service. Like they're betting big. That Shareholders they like you, you say it's a bit <laughs> shaky. But <laughs> I know, but I mean, it realistically is. So they're looking at three verticals for Disney moving forward, which will be Disney Plus, which is going to be the mainstream. It's all the Disney brands that you know. So it's all the Disney characters. It's Pixar, it's Star Wars, it's Marvel. But then I've got two other tiers they're looking at for their digital. And you can see this really replicates what they see as being what traditional US cable TV was about. So they've just got the, I think it's 100% ownership now of Hulu. Uh, which they have management of it now, but the official ownership takes place in five years' time, I think. Yeah, it's a few years before they can, yeah. Yeah, but then also ESPN, which is sports. So they've moved their sports online, and at the moment the ESPN Plus offering slightly different to ESPN regular channel, but that's going to start sort of looking very similar very soon. So they've got sports, they've got general entertainment with Hulu, and they've got their family programming and event stuff with Disney+. Plus. So essentially, they've really replicated what they're doing cable TV-wise, but in this digital streaming space. Yeah. Look, we'll, we'll so we're going to focus today on what's available now for Aussies, but I guess we should mention Disney Plus launches late this year in the US, and they've committed to launching globally by the end of next year. I think I've said it's, yeah, a two-year rollout and Australia hasn't been dated yet, but I'd imagine midway through next year. Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? Mm. I mean, I was always looking to the Stan deal where Stan has a whole bunch of Disney content 
And I figured whenever that winds up, it'd be roughly when Disney Plus were launching. But I'm sure the contract negotiation with Stan was happening at the same time as they were trying to figure out what they're doing with the international expansion. Okay, so let's go through some of the the, the, the different um, offers available to uh, viewers in Australia. We should start with the big daddy, I guess, which is Netflix. Yeah, I um, mean, you can't go past Netflix. No, I've heard of them before. <laughs> yeah. So you can get into Netflix at $10 a month. Given the volume, it's an... It's almost an essential part of any entertainment package these days. I mean, it? it is the essential. I don't think you can really get away without Netflix. So if you think about the way that we watch TV, we watch TV in two ways. We watch TV and then we also talk about TV. And if you want to maintain being part of that conversation mm. with your work friends, with your friend friends and family, like Netflix is kind of the essential building block of that social, cultural aspect of TV. The for me, it it was initially, of course, House of Cards was the thing, and I've I've said this a lot of times, but I used to have a, a US subscription before it launched here, only so I could watch House of Cards. I never watched anything else, and I've got to admit, there's still some of those um, those iconic programs are the ones I usually only watch. I don't veer off that mainstream. So that's um, The Crown, um, Stranger Things. It's those sort of big iconic brands that I'm guessing attract most people, but gee whiz, there's certainly a, a ton of um, of other content available. Look, I'd like to think I'm a bit more niche with my viewership, but when it comes to Netflix, I don't think I'm that far off with the way that you're approaching it, which is that I'm watching these big marquee shows. <clears throat> I maybe go slightly left of centre with things like, say, Mindhunter, which is the okay. David Fincher like yep. procedural yeah, crime. Yeah, I watched that first season. How many? There's been a few. Uh, now. There's, no, no, it's only been one season. So oh, it's, it's only been one still okay. Season two, I think, is next month. Month after, it's very soon. <clears throat> so, like, there's a few of those shows that kind of catch my attention. But Ozark, the, of course, we should mention too. That's yeah, a bit of a cracker. I really liked Ozark at the beginning. Yeah. I just never finished that first <laughs> season. Well, I haven't. I've did, but I haven't finished the second season. Yet. This is part of the problem as well with Netflix, where I just get distracted so easily. I know there's so much <clears> there, isn't there? Yeah, and because you don't have the weekly rollout as well. If I get distracted, I don't have the reminder to come back to it, mm. which is a bit yeah. Yeah, we've talked before too, and um, I get your thoughts on this. The there must be a science why they make it reasonably difficult to find new stuff. Well, I think it's just with the idea that it's not telling you that the new things are necessarily what you need to watch. Because for Netflix, the value of that library isn't to watch it immediately. The value of that library is for it to sit there for between, you know, one week to the next 17 years and for you to stumble across it at some point and just realise that's what you're interested in watching at that point. Where I think Netflix is maybe a little bit sort of um, screwy with that sort of mindset is that TV isn't really the same as film where a movie lasts for a lifetime and you can come across it and you come to it on your terms and, you know, you enjoy the film for what it is. A TV show often tends to reflect what's happening in the zeitgeist at the time. So if you're thinking about the idea of watching a TV show seven years after it's debuted, I'm not sure it necessarily has that same sort of cultural relevance. Mm. Like, I just don't think the connection's quite there in the same way. To me, you know... I don't know, does watching a Netflix original movie, mm. is something about it that still feels like a TV movie? Is that just because of how I'm watching it, do you think? Look, I don't know. I think it's maybe just the way that they're marketing it more than anything else. So they just kind of come on as though they're TV movies. It's pretty rare, unless it's a big sort of well-known art house acquisition, unless you've heard of it before. I mean, if you're a teenager, there's probably a bit of a different relationship you have with it. So there's a lot of teen films now as part of these Netflix originals. But for grown-ups like you and myself, James, more you than my... I've never been accused of that before. <laughs> I'm laying it down on the ground now, James. You're a grown-up. <laughs> but for us, I don't think that there's really that same sort of uh, relationship with the films because they just kind of feel like they're just generic things being pumped out. 
Okay, also costing $10 a month on subscription is Stan, yeah. which actually launched, I think, shortly before Netflix in this market. Do you feel Stan is as essential to your viewership as Netflix is? I know it's a tough question for you to answer. Well, I, it is. I mean, this is 20 bucks there for both of them. I think I would... I would do it for both. Maybe if I had only had 10 to spend, that would be a hard decision. On And you tend to go, you know, I'm always a uh, quantity over quality guy. <laughs> so if you do that, I guess Netflix is your choice, isn't it, because of the volume. But, I mean, I've got things like um, Billions, which I really don't want to have to live without. But I think as as key brands, Netflix probably has the edge. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with that. I think what you were saying a moment ago about the idea of you never quite see exactly what you want to see, like the new things on Netflix when you log in, I find maybe this is where Stan goes a little bit off in that Stan presents you exactly all the new things. And so you've got a constant idea of the new things entering the library at any given moment. There's very little incentive with Stan to spend a bit of time going through some of the back catalogue in the same way that you do with Netflix. And therefore, if I don't find something immediately within the first 10, 15 seconds on Stan, I shut down the app, I go back to Netflix or one of the other 15 apps that I've got running at any given moment. Mm. Yeah, I think um, Stan disappoints a little bit on their movie selection for me. There mm. don't seem to be many new releases. They get a their, their plan seems to be get a few iconic releases, like they had the new Mad Max early on. I think Fury Road. They've got all, yes, they've got all the Bond stuff is, is there, of course, which must be a, a good draw card. But but there doesn't seem to be much else dropping. And again, or maybe it's me just not knowing about it, but that's the perception I have. Yeah, no, I think that's about right. I've got a big love of like world cinema and art house stuff. So they've got the deal with SBS still where there's a whole bunch of the world movies things. So I regularly find things in that collection that surprise me and I get a bit excited to see that. I don't necessarily always watch them, but I get the I like the idea that I could watch it if it's you know if the mood strikes. Uh, are those SBS things also on SBS on demand? That's a good question. I wish I had the right <laughs> answer for you on this one. I think there might be a little bit of crossover, but I think for the most part they're exclusive to individual platforms. Okay, yeah, and you mentioned before I get the Disney acquisition, obviously, and I should mention that when I talk about not many movies, you go, "Well, hang on a minute, <laughs> they've just got all that Disney stuff." So, so that really supercharged their movie offering when they 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 signed that deal. I think it was the end of last year. Wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is actually what makes Stan feel essential to me right now. Stan have two major deals of value. They've got the Disney deal, which is a short-term deal. So after that, I think there'll be a few people considering their Stan subscription. I'm sure Stan have something in the works to try to counter that. But, you know, that's obviously going to be a looming date for them at some point. And then you've also got Showtime, which that's the thing that probably drives the sort of feeling to me that it's the most essential because... There's things on there like The Circus, which I love that program. I'm yeah, that was dearly obsessed yeah. with it. And because I'm always forgetful as to when that's going to come back, I'm more than happy to let my Stan subscription <laughs> keep on writing. But also, Stan, I feel as though I could cancel at any moment and not really miss it until I suddenly get that desire that there's that one show I really need to log back into. Mm. I mean, I guess that would happen to me with Netflix too, because I might go, sometimes there might be, you know, eight weeks without Netflix. Yeah, but there's always so much new stuff dropping on any given moment. There is, but it's finding the time to watch it, though, isn't it? Oh, this is it. Is the challenge. Well, um, you're a busy media executive, James. And I like the... I'm quite attracted by the quirky Aussie dramas that Stan are making. Look, I don't always not into them 100%, but I like the idea they're going out there and doing different things. Look, I think it's great that they're doing it. I'm keen to see the gloaming when that drops. Yeah. I'm not sure about the name, the gloaming, but <laughs> the rest of it I'm all pretty much on board with. Uh, so, I mean, you've got that, but also there's really just like one every year. And like, that's great that they're doing that, but it's a shame that there isn't just sort of greater output 
Yeah, I guess um, Australia, uh, not, not Australia, um, New Year's Day has become their big day for, for Aussie drama premieres. I guess the the guys from Jungle do some some things in between, which might drop sort of in the middle of the year. Yeah. But they've been very, they haven't varied between production houses all that much, have they? Also, I'm going to put it out there. Frankly, I'm not that excited by No Activity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I just can't get on board with it. <laughs> it's fine as a one-off thing, but I just can't watch multiple episodes of it. And it, it just seems like they hang too much on No Activity. Yeah, it perhaps is an acquired taste. I, I mean, I'm fine with the sense of humour of the comedy. It's mm. just, I don't know, it just seems like a lot. Yeah, well, it's, you know, and uh, gee, they remade it for America, so there's, you know, it's... Yeah, have you watched much of the US? Um, no. No. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, look, I think the Australian version's better. I think there's something that's quintessentially Australian about the attitude of it. Yeah. The US one's okay, but I think it's telling that there's just no real buzz around that US version, considering the calibre of some of the stars in that series. Mm. Like, it's your Will Ferrells and other big names. Okay. So that's, um, that is Stan. Like, the third biggest player, I guess, these days would be, um... Well, I guess in terms of drama anyway, would be Amazon Prime. Yeah, and the Amazon Prime video... I never quite know exactly what yeah, it's called. Yeah, I know. What is it called? It's Amazon Prime Video, is that the proper I th- name? I think the actual platform is called Prime Video. Okay. But you call it the but, Amazon it's TV owned by Amazon. It's owned by Amazon. They've always just been a bit clunky about what the actual thing's called. The entire service, I think, is a little bit clunky. So I access Prime Video as being the US service, and I do have an Australian subscription as well for the local shipping, because that's really the business difference with Amazon Prime versus the other streaming services. For those you pay the money to subscribe to them exclusively, for a lot of people subscribing to Amazon, it's to get cheap shipping. So it's kind of like a value add-on rather than something which actually... Well, it's not a bad deal, is it? So $7 a month. Yeah, so that's to get... You can actually now just get it as like the video service on its own. Can you? Yeah, so that's that's less than seven then. That's what that $7 a month is. Well, seven gives you the two-day delivery as well. Does it? Yeah. Okay. I double-checked this morning. Sorry, because you can pay annually as well, so I pay the annual amounts. And it's a bit less than paying... I I think you say maybe five bucks. So you get... So you get... I think... I'm pretty sure for $6.99, you get Mm. the access to the video... You get the two-day shipping, which I think they think will eventually get to one day in Australia, but two days fine for me. <laughs> um, you get, which I haven't really taken advantage of this, but you get access to a lot of books, yeah, like e-books, which I've never really um, investigated too much. I checked it out the first day when I got the email about it, but I've never really gone back to it. Yeah, um, I do use their Audible service a fair bit, so I tend to lean on that more, but that's not included. No, that's a separate sub, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, again, look, that's a... Just getting off track slightly, but yeah, that's a great service audible, but gee where's yeah. the time, you know? It's... The time, but also the content on Amazon, it just feels so half-hearted. So there's <laughs> all the Amazon original productions. So we're back on video now? We're yep. back on video. Yep. The Amazon original productions, I think, just as a whole, exceeds what you find on any other platform. I think the quality of them is generally quite good. It's pretty rare to come across one that's a complete stinker. Okay, and you cannot say that for the other platforms. <laughs> okay, but Amazon, very good success ratio with their programming. But in terms of their acquisitions, you find that they'll, particularly in Australia, you'll find that they'll buy the rights to, I think they've got like Hannibal seasons one through three uh, in a couple of weeks' time. When that drops, I guarantee there's going to be one episode missing from midway through that run, and nobody's going to notice it until there's going to be some viewer who ends up dropping an email through to their customer service, and then eventually they'll fix it. It just kind of feels like they miss those little details along the way to actually make it a valuable, exciting streaming product. Some of their shows are pretty good, though, and they've had good uh, success with uh, with awards, haven't they? At, um, I think things like Emmys and stuff like that. Yeah, so Marvel's Mrs. Maisel is their flagship show. Yeah, by a long I mean, mark. that is a cracker. 
Look, it's probably my, one of my favourite shows mm. of the last two or three years. Uh, also, I really like their Jack Ryan TV series. It's funnily enough, I like that. Well, it's normally yeah. not my cup of tea, that sort of stuff. But no, it exactly. was. It was very good. I, I felt there was one or two episodes that felt slightly clunky, but for the most part, it was... In, like I think it's actually hard to bring a thriller to television and maintain that momentum and the adrenaline through it. I think it totally achieved it, which is, yeah. I was important. a very late arrival to Fleabag, but gee whiz. That, that just blew me away when I first got on the flea bag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've only watched season one and the first episode of season two, but I've got to come back to it. Yeah. yeah. But I, it's quickly finding um, some love here in Australia, some ses- sensational reviews this week from um, a couple of critics that, that have really just gone overboard on it. So, oh, yeah, globally it's loved. Yeah. And, of course, Catastrophe, which in Australia we got here as an, as an ABC program, but yeah. is an Amazon-funded program as well. Now, but not all seasons are on Amazon because the early seasons yeah. are on Foxtel. The most recent one's on iView. Yeah, the rights on that, that one out. are a little bit funky, mm. which is annoying because I keep on wanting to drive people to watch Catastrophe because <laughs> I think it's amazing, but the Amazon Prime service doesn't have those episodes. Yeah. Um, Man in the High Castle, I didn't mind that, but then again, I couldn't push myself to find the time to, to watch season two and beyond. Yeah, I got distracted on that one, but it was a high-quality, decent show. Yeah, I quite like it. It was a great premise. I mean, I love the idea, yeah. you know. And they, they did it because they obviously made it on a budget, but but they found it quite convincing the way they, you know, showed America as um, being either, you know, one side of the country in sort of a German um, – being occupied Germans, and then I think the Japanese had the uh, West Coast, didn't they? Yeah, what I love with that show, and this is just a personal me thing, <laughs> uh, is that they spent so much money creating, uh, creating the idea of the period of the time when they're looking at like large cities, but so much of it is actually shot in the same town in Seattle that they filmed the Northern Exposure okay. um, series in. So Sicily, Alaska, which is not a real town, but you know, <laughs> was in Northern Exposure. And I can't think of the actual name of the town. It's that's uh, dropped out of my mind entirely. Okay. But when you watch it, some of the same architecture of like the cafe from Northern Exposure is still intact. <laughs> and it's pretty much like you're just back there in Sicily, Alaska. Yeah. It's great. All right. So that's, um, that's prime video. Now, Hey You's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, yeah. So it's an NBC Universal um, sub brand. Yeah. I'm not a huge reality show viewer. So it's not really something that I've really tapped into that often. But I like the way that uh, it's a lot of same day and date stuff with the US. A lot of these reality show properties of which fly under the radar from cultural conversation. If you're someone of whom's into reality as a genre and you've subscribed to Hey You, I guarantee you're discovering things quite often that you're just falling in love with. Also, I find that it must be a fairly essential service to people who are really into their reality. Because when I'm on the train, I'm always looking at other people's phones because I'm just a nasty <laughs> person like that. But I see Hey You a lot on people's phones. So I think it's a bit of a success story that people just kind of ignore a little. Yeah, I'm just wondering if they could have done it without the Kardashians. Um, I mean, that's the thing that Because that is it. a real content machine in itself. And what I find amazing about the Kardashians is that they still seem relevant. Mm. I mean, this is something which should have had like a three or four year time <laughs> in the sun, but it just keeps on going and it's still driving subscriptions for Hey You, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, if you log on anywhere to any Hayu property, the first image you get is of the uh, Kardashians, and that's the big carrot that I think. Um, but there is plenty of other content there too, of course. I mean, all the uh, real housewives. Um, yeah. Fran- uh, franchises are all there, stuff like that. What do you know about the international rollout of Hayu? So when it launched initially, it was in Australia, the UK, and there was a third territory from memory. I th- think it is now in um, Scandinavia. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I should know about this because I wrote about it relatively recently, but it's... Um, yeah, because I remember covering this when I was working at Media Week, and so I was there for the launch I'm pretty launch sure it's in Scandinavia, but it's 
It's not in a lot of territories now, though. Yeah, you maybe f- a couple of other European countries. Yeah, you find a lot of services launch in your Scandi countries because it's a perfect uh, testing ground for a lot of platforms. It's an area of the world that has high broadband penetration. It's people of whom are interested in Western TV culture. Okay, now, um, Anime Lab is a I'm yeah, pronouncing this, that properly. This is one that I gave you. I gave yeah, to you. Anime Lab. Yeah, I've heard so, about. It, I don't know much about it. So in the exact same way that if you're really into reality TV, you can get Hayu and get things same day around the world. Um, anime Lab is pretty much exactly the same. If you're into anime, so Japanese animation, it's pretty much the same thing. So Madman Entertainment, being the Melbourne video distributor, uh, they own Anime Lab. Uh, it's kind of them doing what Disney Plus are doing, which is recognize that they can't keep selling DVDs forever. So they've moved into streaming online. So you can, if you're into it, you pay, I think it's maybe $6 a month. You get access to a whole library of anime series. But also they've got what they call simulcasts, which is programs that are broadcast day and date with Japan. In fact, I think it might be like the same time that it's going out in Japan. You're really? able to watch it on platform. So it's incredible. Now, there's a free level... I felt that there used to be. I'm not sure if it's still there. I'm not a big anime guy, so it's not something sure, I check yeah, in on I, I think you can get some of the stuff free. Yeah. And then you, if you want to go up and get serious about it, I think there's probably, um, or maybe it's just, I think it's it's not just a free trial, though. I think there's sort of free-free, but, yeah. but we will, might investigate that at some future date. But, yeah, I'm uh, sure people into their anime are suddenly across that. Yeah, and absolutely. And they're not sort of alone in the market, so there's some international streamers that also service the Australian market. Uh, so you've got, and I wrote them down for you the other day, James, and I've forgotten them entirely. Do you have them there on the list? Um, Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll, which I believe that's, no, that's the f- Warner Media own service. Yep. And Funimation. Yeah, Funimation. So that, they, they're all animated, both those? Yeah, so they're pretty much exactly the same as Anime Lab, but just, you know, providing different content. So uh, Funimation is And they're is not geo-blocked, you can get them here? No. So you're paying Australian dollars. It's pretty much as though it's catered for the Australian market, but it's just as overseas companies owning it. Uh, so Funimation is, I think, 90% owned by Sony. So a lot of the stuff that they've got international distribution for yep. is coming through Funimation. Okay, okay. Now, also in this sort of SVOD area, we've got um, KO, which is a relatively new arrival. Yeah, now I'm not a sports guy by any means, so I've actually never touched the KO product. <laughs> but I'm told by my friends who are really into their sports that it's actually a really robust platform. They're incredibly happy with the service they're getting from it. Yeah, no, it's excellent. It's $25 a month. So it's a pretty good deal considering you get all the Fox Sports channels, you get all the ESPN channels, you get the B in Sports channel. So it's virtually everything that a full-on Foxtel sports subscription would give you is also available on KO. Yeah, now, obviously, they've launched the KO product because you need to start moving towards streaming to really keep the eyeballs now, they're talking about moving a lot of their general entertainment stuff towards a KO-like product, which won't have the Foxtel branding on it, but rather it'll be its own thing. Uh, you've played around the KO platform? I have, yep. Okay, so I'm wondering, and it's because I just haven't really touched it, is it something that they could just rebadge and put a whole bunch of general entertainment content on the same sort of platform, or do you think they're maybe building another platform exclusively for their general entertainment oh, you offering? you could probably use the... Um, but there's a few things you wouldn't need, like one of the... The killer application really on KO is the um, split screens. Mm. So you can be running four, you can be watching four sports at the same time. 
Now, there's not really much call for that when you're watching dramas and stuff like that. No. I mean, maybe if they still had the Australia's <laughs> Next Top Model or something like that, but I can't imagine there's any value yeah, for that one. But that, that is a really good thing to do, you know, or mm. you can, so you can have the screen divided evenly into four or you can have a big image and then smaller down the right-hand side. It's, um, it, it was a little bit clunky to start with. I think it's pretty good now in terms of um, handling that, you know, the, the request to do that. And is that functionality available across every platform? Like, can you do that on Apple TV, which is a bit more restrictive? No, you can't. And I've yeah. asked Foxtel about if you'll be able to do this on, because you can't do this yet on Foxtel on your television, mm. which, but they're apparently working on it and it's not too far away. Okay. But it's just a really good thing that, I mean, picture on picture, picture in picture was a thing early on, but it's never really been adapted, has it? No, I mean, it only really makes sense for sports. And when you're watching a federal election coverage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, just general news shows. I like to be having, you know, I'd like to have my CNN up and my BBC <laughs> World and um, my Sky News and maybe, uh, you know, uh, um, what's the uh, what's the uh, business channel? Is it Fox, uh, Fox, Fox Business? business? Uh, well, I don't know if Fox Business runs anymore, does it? I think it died with uh, your money. Oh, no, oh, no, that was Sky, C- that was Sky CNBC Business. CNBC so. is, the, um, is yeah. the business channel that's still on the Fox Does Fo- platform. Foxtel doesn't carry Fox Business anymore? Like not it, as it still a separate, runs in the US, but... Yeah, no, not yeah. as a separate. I think that used to run overnight here on your money. Okay. So they managed to kill that as yeah. well as uh, <laughs> that brilliant little business channel. <laughs> RIP But Media anyway, the KO is, um, I think it's attractive. Well, it's got over 200,000 subscribers, only launched late last year. The first update was 100,000 Early bit back in February. Now in uh, their May update was two hundred thousand, so they've doubled that subscription. Yeah, I think it's just evidence. If you've got a good product, then people will come to it. Mm. They're claiming it's not cannibalising Foxtel a lot. I don't see how that's possible. Well, no, but it's. They, I think they're saying some of it. They're losing some customers. Yeah, I mean, surely, I, I guess maybe the rationale they have is that it's younger people who are moving towards KO, whereas the traditional Foxtel viewers are probably sticking with that experience that they're familiar with. Mm. But I think there was probably a lot of people there who just weren't going to get Foxtel mm. because uh, it was just it was too hard, if anything else, just to have to get all that stuff just to watch, say, NRL or AFL. Yeah, and I mean, but, that Foxtel brand is a bit toxic to some viewers, so not having that Foxtel name on it. Oh, I, think I don't know about toxic, but I think it just comes with an image of it's expensive. Yeah. It's, and if that's probably what you mean, is oh, no, when you say toxic, you mean. Yeah. Um, like, that's not going to touch it. It seems like it's wildly overpriced and it just has these connotations of being a little bit of a slow dinosaur. Whereas I think <laughs> KO, well, because it is, it's a very traditional old school way of t- watching TV, whereas KO is, it's got digital capabilities. Yeah, it so sounds it's a little so. bit more, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, so that, that has attracted quite a bit of stuff. So, I mean, that that's the um, – so we'll talk about some BVOD in a minute, but that's the sort of SVOD basic options here. Now, if you had all of that, it's $59. That's not too bad. It's not bad, is it, for all that content yeah. a month? I mean, if you took out um, – if you weren't a sports nut, you took out KO, that's $34. And are you including anime lab in there? Cause I, no, I'm not. You're not? No. I mean, that's a pretty niche service. I it mean, is, same, that's right. Uh, same as well with uh, Hayu. Yeah, well, I've included Hayu. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, for three, if you just went to three big ones, Netflix, Ban, and Amazon Prime, it's 27. Mm. I mean, so that's what... It's a movie and a half at the cinema, isn't it? So, now, of course, all these platforms as well will charge you more if you want to have high def or 4K. Correct. Yeah. This is, you know, there's there's add-ons around. So, yeah, you could easily push that 59 bucks up towards 100 probably. 
Uh, I mean, probably not quite that much, but well, yeah. it's only forty away. I think Netflix nearly doubles, doesn't it? And Stan, yeah, I think they double if you go. Oh, if you want multiple views and HD or uh, 4K, 4K is the big thing. And most TVs now, if you go and buy one, is coming with 4K capabilities. So there's value to that. Um, so I think it like works out maybe about like seventeen bucks for Netflix with 4K, and is it maybe fifteen for Stan? Probably, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, it's only another twelve bucks, isn't it? I mm. don't think there's a is there an upscale level for Prime Video? I don't think there no, is. No, that just immediately comes as high def. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk through some of the BVOD offerings um, here. So all the uh, major players. Let's start. I think the the ABC set the bar pretty high when they launched iView, didn't they? And I don't know if there's anything better still. Look, I mean, I, I find like the interest I have in iView just a little bit restrictive in that it's only the stuff that's being broadcast on the ABC right now. Obviously, budget cuts have reduced a lot of the third-party stuff they were like, yeah, broadcasting well, a few years ago. Yeah, that's sort of right, but yeah. they will premiere stuff there first. Like, I think Killing Eve was up there before it went to broadcast. They the will, whole but, of Catastrophe was there before it went to broadcast. But for like two or three shows a year that I might be interested in going well, up yeah, as exclusive. Well, yeah, but it's happening it's, more often. I mean, the Letdown no. Season 2 will be all there. Um, but then again, why, I mean, how could they justify to their audience, though, oh, we'll put it on iView and you can't watch it. Oh, no, if, that, that's absolutely it. But I'm, I'm just thinking broadly in terms of the ABC general entertainment content offering. I find less there than I used to be watching on a regular basis. And the fact that iView only recently moved to like an HD kind of a signal, like it's just been a service which launched with so much promise and excitement at the beginning. And I don't want to say it's atrophy well, because that's think, not really fair. Well, it was, the, it was the sort of state of art originally, wasn't it? So you think it's probably been overtaken a bit now? Yeah, a little bit, but that's mostly just because of politics, I think, have gotten in the way of the level of innovation I think they'd like to be able and to maybe do. funds that the overseas has been able to access because they've been under a bit of uh, budget constraints. Oh, look, absolutely. I mean, I've got a really good team over there working on a product. I just feel that maybe the limitations that are there on that team, um, like I kind of feel it as a viewer. Mm. Yeah. The um, I get a little bit annoyed about how quickly sometimes stuff disappears off there. Like it might be four weeks or something and they've obviously lost the rights. And Yeah. I mean, this is really when they negotiate the deals with the various distributors. So yeah. sometimes they can't really work around that. No. And sometimes they've already got deals for part, like companies like Netflix or Stan to have the digital rights to it. So it's... But I think there, there has been a movement more recently to get longer term rights, I think, for these things where people realise it is such an important, you know, way that a lot of people view these shows. There is no point in having it up only briefly. You really need longer term. Absolutely. The number of viewers of whom won't start watching something until they can see there's a full season there is larger than I think people realise. And also there's a whole bunch of people that won't start a show on episode three if they can see there's like three through episode eight or whatever might be on platform. Mm. So I think it is integral that they have a full season and there. We're, for and we're still not getting data on actually how many people are, are using these platforms. Um, I, I think that's probably because the numbers aren't as big as some of us may think. Mm. Because um, I'm sure if they were doing like, you know, let's say if, if Killing Eve was doing a million people on um, on iView, they'd be telling us pretty quick about that. But I think the numbers are probably still relatively small compared to that um, that live broadcast audience. Look, I mean, this is really the thing as well where I remember talking to the Bondi hipster guys. Uh, they were telling me about, and it may have even been on a Media Week well, you podcast. You hang out in a good crowd, don't you? No, it was around the Media Week offices, <laughs> as I recall. But I was having a chat with them about the show they did called Soulmates, which had debuted on the ABC, but had dropped on Netflix. And they were just saying from their anecdotal experience, like they came across so many more people walking up, talking to them about Soulmates, because I'd seen it on Netflix, 
rather than iview. So I think services like Netflix in the marketplace have really sort of eaten in quite heavily to the potential that the other platforms can have. And for the BVODs, and we'll talk about this in a short while, if they really want to be able to carve out their own niche that's separate from what Netflix are eating as their lunch with, why well, I think they need to be a little bit more clever about what they're offering. Nine Now? Nine Now? Uh, now that's been, they, they promote that as the, as the big success story in the BVOD space. Every month they're updating, oh, we've got 45 million people subscribed now or something. Well, it's not that big, but they did seem to be getting a lot of people signing very quickly. Yeah, they do. The thing, I, I mean, I like it as a platform. I think the technology of it's actually really quite uh, user-friendly and it's just a good experience all around. I kind of like that there's a whole bunch of shows that they've clearly purchased exclusively for Nine Now, but it's things that they're just running in the afternoons on Channel Nine and Go and uh, just trying to really just create that sort of back library. So I think the first five seasons of ER are all there on Nine Now right now. And if you haven't gotten back to rewatch ER, do it, James. It is so good still. It holds up remarkably well. Okay. Yeah. And I know one of their big hits over the summer, I think, was McLeod's Daughters. They, they put all McLeod's Daughters up there and they were... They, they told us that they were reasonably surprised about just how well it did. That doesn't surprise me because the one thing that I think a lot of platforms don't really think about is the casual viewership. So there's a lot of people who just want a TV show where they can just like mind-numbingly fall asleep on the couch while it's on. And things of which people are familiar with and genres of TV that are very comfortable for that, I don't think it reflects it on a lot of the services like Netflix and Stan. Uh, like Stan recently added The Golden Girls onto platform, which is a very easy watch and it's very simple because the show still holds up pretty well. You can easily sit down and watch like six episodes of that back to back. And there's something about the rhythms of a sitcom that are just so friendly and just inviting to keep watching. I think McLeod's Daughters taps into that same kind of viewership. Right, okay. Are there any quirky US comedies or talk shows you like that show up on Nine Now? Oh, look, I mean, the only thing that's really excited me recently was just seeing Survivor. Oh, uh, not Survivor. Um, obviously, Survivor's pretty Survivor's good. Survivor's there too. Survivor yeah. is there. Uh, but ER was just the thing that really okay. caught my attention recently. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the, the, some of that stuff, you mentioned Nine Go, didn't you, that they get for Nine Go. Mm. That's, I wouldn't be surprised if the audience on um, for Survivor, US Survivor, is pretty big on, on um, Nine Now as well as on Go. I'm sure it goes gangbusters. And every so often I see weird little programming things on Nine, like an episode of the very much kids-orientated Batman cartoon just appearing at like 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> and I'm sure that's purely just so I can arrive on the streaming platform. Yeah. Um, Seven's offering, um, Seven Plus, uh, no longer has Clive uh, Dickens working on it, of course, because he's moved over moved to Optus. Optus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I'm really interested with Seven is generally I'm not a huge fan of the platform. I always find that the ads kind of uh, don't really sort of uh, work well for my viewing experience. And if it's a show that I'm midway through and then I have to backtrack and stuff, then I suddenly get ads layered over the top of what I want to watch and it's just frustrating. But something I'm really fascinated with with the 7 Plus offering is that the linear services that they have, they've been expanding with some channels of which you don't get on the free-to-air TV services. So maybe the one to point out is the outdoor the outdoor channel. Outdoor Living. Is that part of Seven? Uh, it's on the Seven Plus. Is it? Yeah, so it's oh, a linear channel that, that okay. just keeps on running. There is a Media Week story about this, James. I'm sure I saw it there during the week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you publish a lot of things. Okay. Uh, yeah, but it's a channel with a whole bunch of different reality shows. Which and so are, they run the that channel. as a, its own 
yep. schedule and all that. Absolutely. So if you go okay. to the linear channels, you'll find that sitting there, I think, at the tail end. So it'd be full of things like Better Homes and Gardens and um, I'm not their sure old if, Jamie Jury seasons of stuff. Look, I'm not sure if they're running their content on it or if it's stuff I think coming, it's all probably imports? I, honestly, I haven't really watched much of it. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not a big sort of lifestyle viewer. All right. Yeah. However, okay. it is well, there. I will investigate that though because Nine have got their own, of course, with um, Nine Life, which does pretty well for them. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Nine Life is something that's on the broadcast mm. service as well. Like this is exclusively just the streaming channel. Okay. And I think that maybe this is where the BVODs maybe really can play a role that differentiates themselves from the Netflix experience. So I'm thinking of what's happening around the world at the moment. And you got Viacom who recently paid a significantly large amount of money to buy Pluto TV. And do you know this platform at all? No. No. Pluto TV is basically replicating a cable TV viewing experience where you've got, you know, 45 different channels start flipping through and they've all got their own genre and different sort of branded channels. Uh, largely, it's a lot of just like garbage, cheap content they were able to find from around <laughs> the place. I mean, it's, it's not great content, but when Viacom came through and bought it, they've been rejuvenating it and actually putting in TV shows from the extensive Viacom library and they're branding the channels around some of their traditional TV uh, content. Okay. Okay. So at the moment, I know that they struck a deal with CNN where there's now a CNN channel. It's not a complete duplication of what you find on CNN, but a whole bunch of shows from CNN are now on this channel from both the US and international CNN. Uh, but also, I think there's a Comedy Central uh, channel now running on Pluto TV. And the revenue for it, they're talking about, I'm trying to think of the article I read a few weeks ago. Uh, within the first couple of months of this year, since they've owned the channel, they've already generated like $150 million of ad revenue through it. Wow. So it's a growing part of the sector. And I think it's because people want a casual viewing experience and just random linear shows they can just kind of throw on in the background, I think is actually highly appealing. So our local BVODs, I think if they really want to find something which no one else is doing in Australia, maybe if they can beef that up before Viacom move Pluto TV into the local market. I wonder if I'm one of the only people who are still confused by the difference between 10 Play and 10 All Access. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't think you're alone on this one <laughs> by any means. Uh, so, I mean, all it is is that 10 All Access is a random collection of CBS and Channel 10 programs that you can pay a nominal fee each month for. 10 bucks. It's 10 bucks? I was going to say 8.99, but I'm pretty sure it's a full 10. 10. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want to watch old Beverly Hills 90210, like that's the destination for you, James. Right. Uh, I think they've maybe got a bit of a problem in the Australian market where there's a whole bunch of marquee shows that are really exciting to Australian viewers. I think people are excited to know that new Star Trek shows are going to be coming to 10 All Access, but they're not. Uh, they'd be excited about the Twilight Zone when it launched, which it did eventually, but it was about three weeks after the US by the time that the heat had well and truly uh, come off the Twilight Zone. So there's just these things where I think people expect they could watch these big marquee shows landing there, and that is not turning up on platform. And I don't know, it's hard to justify that $10 a month. 10 Play does pretty well for that uh, that core 10 audience, and I think a lot of people, fans of The Bachelor, um, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, possibly engage with that that programming only on 10 Play, and they're sort of not watching broadcast TV. Yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible, but I'd have to wonder as well, uh, like, because these shows have a certain shelf life on them as well. Once it's, you know, two to three days old, you're not going back to watch that episode of Stripped Reality Program. So I don't know, I just kind of wonder about like the future of relying on that as a uh, strategy. The problem of 10 Play and same 9 Now and 7 Plus, you can't really skip the ads, can you? Which is the attraction for the broadcasters, of course, because they think, okay, we've got this, people want to view in their own time, on demand, but we can trap them, we can make them watch the ads. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a problem with 
the streaming services with the ads. I mean, this is the thing you're not paying for. It, well, you so. did mention before. What did I say? Something about. I say lots of things, James. <laughs> you said about, well, I think we were talking about, and it was on Nine Now or 7 Plus, you said, oh, the ads, and if I try to go back, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. It's, it's the way the ads are served to you that I have the problem with. Okay. So I don't mind watching ads, but I get very tired of seeing the same ad every time that an ad break comes on. Oh, so you'd on. rather than be different? If they're different ads, that's totally fine. Or have okay. reduced ad loads where you've got like one company which is really just sponsoring the program you're watching, and you see that ad twice, I think that's fine. But when there's, that's sticking to the traditional the five same, ad Sometimes there's the same ad in every break. And SBS, which we'll talk about next, is quite guilty of that. Oh, it's horrendously guilty of that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you do have these that same ads being served all the time. And sometimes the technology, you want to fast forward to catch up to a point in the episode you know where you're at because you've been watching it on like a different device or something. But then suddenly you get served like four ads because it wants to try to catch you up and make sure it doesn't list, miss out on the ad serving, which it's a frustrating experience. Mm, I, I say give me some pre-rolls. I mean, I think, Foxtel might have done it reasonably successfully with this last season of Game of Thrones where the advertised starting time if you're watching live was 11am. Mm. It probably didn't start till 11.05 because you were getting a good solid five-minute ad block. To me, that's okay if the payoff is I get to watch the whole episode without interruption. Yeah, that's fine. That doesn't worry me. You know, I think it's I think that's a good thing. So I think they should do that. Um, yes, yeah, so at 10 Play, I love watching the... Um, his name escapes me now. Is the British um, talk show that's always on? Um, oh, ten, um, you're talking about? <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Yeah, but but he's very good at Friday nights. Um, so those episodes are all banked up there. Um, let's move on to SBS on demand, which is still to me one of the um, secrets out there. I just don't know if enough people know about it and how deep the catalogue is. Look, I mean, I think SBS on demand have had a few tech issues. Graham which Norton have, was the word Graham, we were thinking of. Yeah, Graham Norton. <laughs> Grown Norton experience. Sorry, now back to SBS. Yeah, uh, SBS, and just for disclosure, I was recently working for SBS. I left there a couple of months ago now. Uh, How long did they get out of you? Out of uh, they got about two, two and a half times the length you did oh, out of me, James. Uh, <laughs> I think two and a half years with them. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, rubbing in. Yeah. <laughs> two and a half glorious years, James. <laughs> No, um, SBS on, on Demand, I think it's an amazing platform. And one of the reasons why I did leave Media Week was because SBS had SBS On Demand. I just think it really is like the beacon in the Australian BVOD space where there's so much possibility with that, mostly because it was really tapping into an area where other services aren't really tapping into. So you find some foreign language stuff on, um, you know, Amazon or Netflix. But if you really want like a foreign language drama, like SBS On Demand will pick the cream of the crop and make sure it's available on platform. I think taste-wise, like they've got a very sort of smart uh, like programming team there that really pick out some of the best from around the world. Great platform. I think that in terms of some of the technology lying, it's the same problem as iView where the budget can only go so far. And so you look at Netflix, which have all the money in the world to make sure that your viewing experience is completely optimum, whereas you can only hire so many staff for your public broadcasters to make sure that they can actually have a robust platform to the level that I think people expect. But yeah, it's hard. Like They really are dedicated teams of whom are working actively to make sure that it's as good a viewing experience as possible. But there are just logistical barriers. So SBS do... Um buy just for their on-demand platform, don't they? I mean, it's sometimes if it does well, they probably might put it on the broadcast later, but yeah. there is I'm, stuff there that probably never makes it to the broadcast. It'll always depend on what the rights are that they're able to purchase, but there are things being purchased on a regular basis. So every month you'll find two to three shows which are exclusive for yeah. SBS on-demand. And the movie catalogue is quite stunning, isn't it? Movie catalogue is phenomenal, and it's a constantly changing catalogue as well. So some things might be there for a year or two, but other things might only have a few months. And it's there. not just sort of European art house. There's quite a lot of mainstream 
um, more retro, if you like, or indie, but a lot of US content. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's important for any service, to, well, any sort of service like SBS, which are a very sort of niche broadcaster, which have a very specific charter that they're trying to meet the obligations of. But I think you do need to mix in some other stuff which appeal to them, but maybe work as a lure. So, you know, you might come to watch like a weird, quirky David Lynch film, but then stick around for those five films you haven't heard of before that do fill the SBS charter. Mm. Okay, so just quickly... Foxtel now and Fetch will both throw in here because mm. they're sort of um, bivot, aren't they? They um, Foxtel now, that is the I think it's the twenty five dollar way to watch Foxtel through IPTV. Yeah, so twenty five dollars starting base, and then you yep. add a few packages in. Yeah, so that yeah, gets you the not? basic. Um, it doesn't get you the drama package, doesn't get your sport, or doesn't get your movies, but it gets you a fair bit of drama. Though I think that. Was Game of Thrones, was Fox Showcase on that basic level now? I, I think it is. It's been a little sure. while since I've taken a look at it, to yeah, be honest. same here. But I, th I think they put um, Game of Thrones in. But anyway, that's over now, so no need to worry about that. But so they, well, that's a way to, a lower cost way to get into that non-sporting Foxtel content. Look, absolutely. And honestly, I think that Foxtel now as a base package, I don't find tremendously that exciting. But the movie package, I think, is like is above anything else in the market. I think. It is. So when you hit $45 for a movie package, like the price of that is like a little bit hard to really sort of, yeah, want to justify to myself. Because there's obviously like a decent movie library on stand. There's a decent movie library in SPS On Demand and Netflix to an extent as well. It's hard to want to pony up that much cash. But when you go through the library on Foxtel now, like it's just amazing seeing the number of blockbusters and beloved films that you will find just, you know, scrolling around within seconds. Well, no, and you've and you've got to do your homework too, don't you? Because a lot of this stuff isn't obvious, and you so you've got to spend some time drilling down. Well, as you do on all these services, because it's yeah. amazing what you can find. But I will say that in terms of the UI and ability to be able to find stuff pretty quickly, you're into. I think the Foxtel now, at least as far as movies and TV scripted shows go, I find it very easy to find what I'm after very quickly. The mm. categorization is really quite nice. And, yeah, yeah, simply laid out. And finally, Fetch. Yeah, Fetch. Um, I really like Fetch. Uh, the channel selection, I wish there was a bit more scripted content available generally across the board, but I like their packages in that it's a couple of bucks for the first one and there's like $3 out of every package after that. Like it's pretty cheap. I thought it was five bucks. Maybe it's five bucks. Yeah. I don't know. I did it a while ago, James. Yeah, but like, I'm for, pretty for sure like, it's five bucks a package. Yeah. 20 to 25 bucks, you've got the entire set of channels. Yeah. Although depending on your internet carrier, you can pretty much get it for free if you decide. I think Optus is the... Um, Obvious one. If you get your Optus broadband or maybe even an Optus mobile phone. Yeah, I think they usually just give you the entry level package though. Well they, they give you the they give you the box. Yeah. And which is a pretty good box, isn't it? The the fetch set top box. Yeah. Um, which gives you all the free to air channels. And well, I mean, you get the free-to-air no, channels so you, anyway. But you need an aerial, though, don't you? You do need an aerial. Aerial, aerial. But it plugs in. So if you get the Fetch Mighty, which is their large PVR, uh, it just works like well, normal. That's what I mean, though. You can record yeah, and all PVR. that. Um, I've only got a Fetch Mini at home, which okay. doesn't let you record, but you know, you can right. still like position all the traditional broadcast yeah. channels. And then I think still. with if you're a II Net or Optus Broadband customer, I think you get one... $5 package, I think, as yeah. well. I'm Pretty much sure. all the ISPs, that isn't Telstra, because Telstra is hiding yep. with Foxtel, obviously. Mm. Uh, you can usually get a deal that'll get you the box as well as uh, entry-level package. Also, it gives you access to what they call their movie box, which is 30 films every month. Okay. Um, I remember when I first became a Fetch subscriber, like those films were a pretty dire offering. Um, <laughs> nowadays, though, like it's actually a fairly sort of decent, in the same way that when you load up the Foxtel movies package and find like a whole bunch of movies you're interested in, this is a far less sort of broad selection, but like you'll still find like of those 30 films, there'll be like five to 10 that you're into. Yeah, well, for six months of last year, I only had Fetch. I didn't have 
access to Foxtel because I was uh, temporarily lo- relocated. Homeless. But, <laughs> but um, I found it quite um, – I quite enjoyed it. I mean, little things – I love that travel channel. I'm a lifestyle guy. I like some of their lifestyle offerings. Yeah. You can get BBC First through it, which is another one of my key go-to destinations. Um, I really like Viacom's Comedy Central. Okay, yep. So, and that's only available on Fetch here. Yeah, so. It's the only place you can get it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, mm. yep. so it's an interesting little um, – and another, if you get it as part of your, you know, it, it, you can call it free if you because everyone needs broadband. So if you get a, a broadband supplier that you're happy with that's got that part of it, it's, it's um, it was enough to get me across the deal with Optus, I think, where I was – where I relocated to. Yeah, also in terms of both Foxtel versus Fetch, if CNN is something you're interested in, you can only get it on Fetch for the digital streaming. Okay. Yeah, which, course, that's actually the, a bit of a deal breaker for me. And then, oh, okay. So then Optus Sport 2 you can get as part of the deal as well. And if you're, um, it's mainly for sort of um, football or soccer, some people call it. But if you're into that sport, that's a really a must-have um, addition. Yeah, and conceptually the World Cup. Yeah. Conceptually, James. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, that's really interesting, um, Dan. Thank you for that. It's fascinating going through that. Um, I'm just wondering if... I mean, if you had to pick, so you, we're sort of on the same page, aren't we? I guess that Netflix tops you, is your first go-to probably if you're going to pay for a, um, a streaming service. Look, I mean, I find it essential. It's hard to not subscribe to Netflix because it's all pretty cheap. Mm. And if you're going to pick one of them, Netflix is kind of that base one and everyone has Netflix and they've got so much content debuting there on a regular basis. And I may not necessarily watch it every month, but I will still make sure that I've got it there for that time where I know that there's that thing dropping that I want to be able to catch. Um, Stan is like fairly essential right now, but I do have question marks over where it's going as a service and the value once. Because as soon as Disney Plus start moving into the market, as soon as Amazon beef themselves up a little bit more, Apple, when that launches in a few months' time, uh, like there's so much content out there that you're really going to start looking at some of the existing services and working out where that fits into your content diet. And I don't know whether Stan will still have that value proposition for you. Yeah, I think they need at least a couple of marquee Aussie. I think they need a big... You know, back when you think of what um, what Underbelly did for Nine at, over a decade ago, I think Stan nearly need that a sort of mainstream, edgy content that maybe Free to Wear would shy away from. You know what? I find there is surprisingly such a large amount of stuff I'm interested in on Stan, but I find that the discovery of those programs isn't necessarily there for it. I think if they could reconfigure their UI to make it seem like you are spending more time like exploring the catalogue than right now where I look at those first two to three bars and then just give up. If they could actually involve me a little bit more, I'd find that I'm actually watching more things on there and find there's a greater value proposition which would maintain the subscription going forward. But for people on a really tight budget, I mean, you look at what's there for free on BVOD and you think, gee whiz, you know, that's going to be enough for a lot of folks, isn't it? I mean, for it depends what you're interested in. So if you're really into scripted TV, which I'm definitely one of these people, I don't know that BVOD really has that value proposition anymore. I think I'd find the $8 a month to get the cheapest like Netflix package. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you really, you know, look, I mean, you just couldn't afford it, There's you're going to fill your time, aren't you? Look, there's enough stuff I mean, on you could there, really so. get into a lot of that SBS European stuff, which is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to wait for Friday nights anymore for some of that, James. <laughs> All right, Dan Barrett. Look, always great uh, catching up with you, Dan, and great to have you on the Media Week podcast. Likewise. And I encourage all people to check out alwaysbewatching.com. <laughs> Very good. Good on you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, James.